Jed's podcast is proudly brought to you by 40 Winks Bendigo. Serious about sleep. G'day, everyone. Welcome back to another AFL podcast. In this week's episode, I sit down and chat with retired AFL superstar. Dale Thomas, otherwise known as Daisy Thomas, he played over 258 games in the AFL. He originally started his career off at Collingwood and then went to Carlton. Daisy was a premiership player for Collingwood in 2010, was named in the All-Australian All squad in 2011 and was also nominated for the AFL Rising Star in 2006. Daisy, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks, thanks for coming on. No, thank you very much for having me, mate. Thanks for those kind words. I love it when you give me a nice big pump up in the intro. It just makes me feel good about myself. Mate, you've had some great achievements over your AFL career, which is which I'm really looking forward to chatting to you about. Could you please tell us how you got the nickname Daisy originally? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a bit of an underwhelming story, but we'll start with it anyway. Um, I grew up in a small country town called Drawn. Um, I played cricket down there at the local footy club and cricket club. I uh, once uh, played cricket with another guy, Dale Weller. Um, his nickname was Daisy as well. And inevitably, I sort of came in and, um, yeah, I was Dale, he was Daisy. And then all of a sudden, I became Daisy as well. So sort of, if anything, um, I've stolen a nickname off that, Poor fella. Um, nice bloke, ripping bloke. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I became more famous. So now the, stick, the nickname sticks with me. <laughs> sticks with you, mate. You've got broken <laughs> right then over you, mate. <laughs> you were the number two draft pick in the national draft in 2005. You were picked up by Collingwood originally at the start. How did you originally get into football? Did you feel there was extra pressure being the being picked number two, sorry, in the national draft? Um, yeah, well, sort of just how I got into footy, we can start with that. Uh, um, you know, like everyone, I just had a kick at, at lunchtime pretty much and then played a bit of local footy. Um, there wasn't a whole lot to do out there in Druin, so you were either playing footy or cricket in summer and whatnot. So that's how I got into it. Um, from there, I sort of, you know, I was going all right, played some Gippsland Power rep footy. Um, and then, you know, to the dream was to always play AFL footy, but then to get picked uh, pick two um, in the draft was was pretty crazy. Um, my sort of my draft year went pretty much as as much to plan as you could hope. We won the under 18 TSE Cup Grand Final. I got best on in that Grand Final before going to draft week. So um, I guess I sort of jumped up the uh, the draft expectation and the draft board of a few clubs a fair bit because I sort of um, had to stand up and take note because I was playing some good footy, but. From there, mate, to go pick two to, to Collingwood, I guess I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. As I said, a, just a young putt from the bush and then all of a sudden I'm the, the number one pick at the biggest club in the uh, the biggest club in the land. So it was uh, it was pretty exciting. Obviously, Mark Murphy was the number one pick, but he went to Carlton and yeah, I went pick two behind him. Yeah, you were pick number two, which was great. You played some fantastic footy and like you were just saying then, Daisy, growing up, in the country area and being drafted at pick number two, it's a massive achievement for anyone to be drafted at that high. Yeah, number. no, 
And as I said, it was sort of, it was a lifelong goal too. So, um, you know, it's a bit of a weird, surreal feeling. You go from one day just being, you know, Dale Thomas from drawing and next, literally within the space of your name getting read out, you all of a sudden you've got a, a Collingwood polo on with Emirates, Adidas, all the sponsors, and you're then sitting there and you, you've all of a sudden got to learn how to do media conferences and press conferences and um, literally life-changing moment. It definitely is a life-changing moment for you. Yeah, so with that, Daisy, you are just saying then about the media conferences and all that kind of stuff. What was it like for your first week at Collingwood once you were drafted? Um, yeah, the first couple of weeks were like everything. I guess it was all excitement and it was all new. And, you know, you, you got to go down, you got to start meeting the players that you'd watched on tally of, you know, Nathan Buckley, James Clement, Paul LeCuria, Brody Holland, Tarkin Lockyer, Shane O'Brien, all these blokes, Chris Tarrant, Alan Didak, like, genuine superstars who you'd watched and all of a sudden you you won training with them and then you know as as footy clubs are they you start knocking around with them so you know they invite you over for dinner and it's all so surreal for the first couple of weeks and I was fortunate you know fast forward sort of um you know probably three four five months when we started playing some games I was fortunate enough to play some games pretty early as well and I guess that's when it got a bit difficult because I guess you you dream of having somewhat fame growing up and people knowing who you are. You're running around the schoolyard, you know, calling your own name like Thomas and, you know, dreaming of signing autographs. And then once it starts to happen, it, it's a bit of a weird feeling getting recognised in the street and going to the supermarket, people asking for photos. So it was certainly a, a fair bit to get used to and it, it took a bit of a while to adapt. It definitely would have taken a while to adapt mate did you ever get sick of that I suppose because AFL players like to have a private life outside of football did you get sick of it at times you know people asking for photos or all that kind of stuff wanting to yeah to you all the time I didn't get sick of it because I always sort of I always wanted or how do I put this? I guess when I was a young kid, you know, when you had a when you saw an AFL player, you know, from the bush or that around, you wanted to go up and chat to them. So I always tried my best to give people a time of day and to have a chat and be friendly. Um, but I, I guess it sort of I got a lot better at um, I guess wrapping things up, or if you know, if it was out for dinner or something, and someone come over in the middle of a feed, I'd say, hey, yeah, no worries, you know, just if you could wait till I finish eating with my family or whatnot. Yeah, and then come right. over and say hi if that's all right. So just you get a lot better at, um, I guess, setting some own boundaries for yourself on the run um, with people. But you know, it's it's a nice thing to have to have great supporters. Obviously, Collingwood have a very passionate supporter base, but it certainly took some getting used to. It definitely would have would have taken you a while to get used to. Growing up, mate, who did you follow in the AFL as a kid growing up? I was a mad Cats fan. So Gary Ablett Sr., um, of course, the, the old man of Gary Ablett Jr., who I once played on, and he had 52 touches, which was then the AFL record. Uh, story for another day. Uh, um, but Gary Ablett Sr., mate, I, he was from Druin, um, and he was obviously a superstar back in the day when you'd go out and you could watch them on the highlights and they'd kick 12, 13 goals. Um, you know, it was sort of the era of him, Dunstall, Lockett, um, Paul Salmon, Godra over there in Adelaide. So... He was my hero. So a lot of my time was spent in the mornings. I put the odd VHS on of, um, I think it was called Cool Cats, the video. 
um, which is like a highlights tape of Gary. And then I'd be out in the, the front paddock where I was lucky enough to have some goalposts and I'd be kicking bananas and pretending to take hangers over stuff and, and getting into it that way. Awesome. He was such a great, great player, Gary Ablett Senior. He was a bit, a bit before my time, obviously, Daisy. So, obviously, he's... Are you he's calling done. me old, mate? <laughs> no, no, not you, mate. Gary, Gary Ablett was a bit, a bit before my time, Gary Ablett Senior. Obviously, his uh, son just just re- just retired too, Gary Ablett Jr. He was a an absolute superstar as well of the AFL competition. Who do you reckon was a better player out of them two, senior or oh. junior? They were both exactly. awesome players. They were that that you know that is an absolute ripping ripping question and a, a ripping conversation to have. Um, Oh, man, that is so hard. Um, I'm going to have to say Gary Ablett Sr. purely because he was my, my my hero and my idol. But I think, you know, you could man a very good case that Junior was probably as good a player in a different era to be as dominant as he was for so long. And not only a really good footy club, but then also to go up to the Gold Coast in a sort of struggling market. Did someone just throw something at you? Nah, sorry, mate. That was me, <laughs> podcast side. Sorry about that. Oh, no, not 40 winks in Bendigo. Yeah, it was a sign, yeah. mate. Hey, how well are you going? You've got sponsors. I've got a bloody show with He Shaw on Channel 7 and we don't have any sponsors. You're the big dog. I need to get seven to ring you and bloody sort something out for us. <laughs> no worries, mate. Yeah, <laughs> so, sorry about that, mate. Yeah, that was a sign. Nah, all good, all good. Nah, they definitely work. Great players, Daisy, like you were just saying there, mate. They were obviously different types, different types of players, but they were champions of the AFL competition and the game. Yeah. So so when you were at Collingwood and Carlton, mate, who were some of your mentors around the footy club? Yeah, I was pretty lucky when I first got to the Pies, um, a bloke by the name of Nathan Buckley. Um, He was my mentor. Um, funny that he then sacked me eight years later, but um, no, I, man, I was so fortunate. So I came into that footy club, as I said before, the names of the real senior, older, established figures of Buckley, uh, Rocker, Clement, O'Brien, Lockyer, Holland, Lacuria. Uh, to walk in as an eighteen-year-old and learn the ropes off them, learn what you know what it was required to play at the level, consistency, the dedication, the work ethic, um, preparation. You know, those blokes were, were phenomenal, um, all of them to be to be mentors. So I was really fortunate. And then, of course, we had that group underneath them that were a little bit cheekier and sort of brought a different perspective to life of um, your Chris Terrence, your Alan Dyde, actually, Dane Swans, who also worked bloody hard but also enjoyed themselves probably a touch more off the field. So, you know, I think I was really, really lucky to go there. Um, and that sort of uh, was a, a really good way to be shaped for – how the rest of my career was going to go because, you know, I speak to uh, Mark Murphy or I did, you know, when I was playing at the Blues and we were sort of discussing the differences in the two clubs when we first got drafted. And, you know, I guess the Blues at that time, sort of they had Fev, Lance Whitnell, um, you know, sort of a a different sort of, um, different sort of characters, if you will, rather than, you know, the hard-nosed, disciplined blokes that I had at the Pies with me. So nothing against Fev and Lance Whitnell. They were both superstars, but just sort of, I'm saying, they went about it a different way, if you will. And 
I think Mark was sort of left to his own devices a bit more, whereas those boys were pretty keen to get me under the wing and, and show me the way to do things. Yeah, that's right, mate. Like, especially when you were first drafted, Daisy, it's always important for younger players to have that support, but I'd also have them great role models around, like you were just Yeah, saying. absolutely. I, I think it's as much the guidance as anything. So they're not, not, um, not telling you what you can and can't do, but if you do fall over or if you do stumble or if you are a bit lost, they're always there to say, hey, you know, that's fine. That's, this is what happens, but, you know, maybe next time let's do this way or, you know, when I was in that situation. So I was very fortunate in that regard. It's great to see the senior players support the younger ones. In 2010, mate, you played in a grand final for Collingwood, which is everyone's dream growing up as a kid to play in an AFL grand final. You you played in one and you and you were a part of that premiership team. What was the feeling like being involved on the day? Yeah, well, it was obviously we had to go back the second week because we buggered the first one up. We had a draw with the Saints, um, which was the most bizarre feeling I think I've ever experienced. I didn't know whether to sort of laugh or cry. I was exhausted. That was just a phenomenal game of footy. And then um, the the way we won the next week, you know, that's that's how I want to win a grand final. I know supporters are like, oh, we'd love to, you know, we loved a hard fought win and then kick a goal after the siren, mate. Stuff that from the week before, it was the last thirty minutes. You didn't even really know the score. You just throwing your head over the footy and crashing into blokes, and it was hectic. Whereas the next week, we're fifty odd points up. Um, could actually soak it in, really enjoy the moment, and you know, as you say, as for anyone who plays at any level, winning a premierships the goal, the ambition. So to do it at the elite level and to know from pretty much a quarter out that we had it in the bag, it was pretty special. Having the ability to look around, um, you know, looking out to the outer of the MCG, it was packed. I think there was a hundred or thousand there that, that second game to be enjoying it with teammates, sort of, a, you know, a cheeky little hug on the way off as you're going to the interchange bench. It was certainly a very special day. It definitely is a very special day for yourself and your former Collingwood teammates. What was the build-up like the uh, week before, so before the first grand final, before you had to play that second one? Yeah, it was mental, mate. Um, so I think we – I'm pretty sure it was 2010 when we played Geelong in a prelim. And again, we were, I think we won by like 80 points out. We put like seven goals on them in the first quarter. So – Again, it was like from half time. it was pretty much like, oh, my God, we're going to be in the grand final. We were getting, I think we trained Tuesday, Thursday that week, and I think we were, from memory, we had like 25,000 and 30,000 fans at training, which, you know, you, you think of the current um, capacity of Etihad Stadium with the, the new rules due to COVID and whatnot. Like, a, that, that is just to a training session. So it was mind-blowing. And, you know, to do the parade as well, um, we went – the old route through the middle of the city. There was people everywhere. There's people hanging out of office buildings. It was honestly like, yeah, it was just, it was just mind blowing. It's like, holy shit, this is fair income and what is actually happening. So it was really, really hard to um, keep your emotions in check, I guess, and not get too excited, not try and look too far ahead because, you know, you've got to sort of stick to the process of, you know, Tuesday is a bit of a tune-up session. You're still a bit sore from the prelim, although we won comfortably, but you you can't get too excited. You don't want to burn your tickets and get all caught up in the fact that there's, you know, so many people at training. Same with the Thursday session. And then, of course, the Friday was just mental. And 
then after all of that, you just go home and you sort of take a big collective breath, have a bath. And um, I remember the night before I, I actually slept pretty well, which was good. Um, Cause I, I guess some of the, the great unknowns is how you're going to sleep. You know, there's a lot to think about. Uh, it's been a big week, but I remember having a, a nice sleep. I woke up pretty early, flicked on the tally and they were already doing live crosses on the today show from the ground. And from then on, I reckon the whole day I was just covered in goosebumps. Yeah. That once it gets to grand final day, mate, I imagine you and your teammates would have been fairly nervous on the day. Yeah, it's it's such a weird feeling because you are you're a touch nervous. Um, you're obviously really excited, but I think because it's the last game, you sort of have the mentality that all right, let's just throw everything we have at this, like. And you, you sort of prepare yourself. It's like you know, you drift off in the thought at times of how good would this be if we win? And then it's like, shit, you know, there's a possibility we might lose. They're a bloody good side. You know, one team wins, one team loses. So you're sort of to and fro with that all week. And then to walk up the race, um, you know, for the first warm-up and you, you come down to the MCG, of course, it's nice and dark. You turn the corner and you just see people. And the noise was unbelievable. Like, and again, the the want just to get so caught up. You feel like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof running around out there. And of course, as I said, then the end of the game was a draw. So, you know, at zero point throughout the week and you prepared for that. Um, so it was very, very strange. But as I said, then to, to live it the next week and get it all done again, I'm pretty lucky that I got to play in two grand finals in a week because a lot of blokes don't get to play in any throughout their whole career. That is definitely right, mate. Like you were just saying, then yes, yes, you just had to play two who grand finals, but you got, got the job done in the end, which was really exciting for you. But like you were saying earlier, mate, in the show, obviously the Magpie Army they love, they love it, don't they? Down at Collingwood, oh, yeah, mate. So some of the people, and still to this day, like get stopped in the street, and people honestly just come up and say thank you. That was the best day of my life. So. Um, to, uh, I guess, be a part of that and have some sort of impact on so many people's lives um, positively, but probably for the Saints fans negatively. Sorry to anyone who's a Saints fan out there for 2010. But, um, yeah, to have people say it was one of the better days of their lives, certainly now that I'm retired and can sit back and genuinely reflect, it's a nice feeling. It definitely would be a nice feeling, mate, for yourself. Daisy, in 2013, you had a lot of uh, trouble with your ankle injury, mate. Did you ever think about giving the game away back then or or were you determined to come back from that serious ankle issues that you had um i i guess i I got sort of almost got to the point whether it was um you know with all the surgeries and that i had whether i could actually play at the level um and you know there were no doubt there was times there that were pretty tough and um, I guess if I'm being completely honest, I was questioning myself whether the right decision was to keep trying to forge on with this and trying to, to put myself through it because, you know, the, the couple of years I had were, you know, I had one surgery, came back, I think I played two or three games and then blew the other side of, oh, I've got a fan. One second, sorry. Someone's, someone's just tried to ring me. No, you're all right, <laughs> I'll mate. Call you, I'll call you back, mum. Um, so, yeah, mate, it was tough. It was some of the times were, were really tough. And to be going through rehabilitation, um, you know, it's a lonely place, you know, swimming laps with your legs tied together because you're not allowed to kick your ankle and just all this sort of stuff that, 
everyone thinks of AFL footy as, you know, they think of your career and they think of 2010 and how good it is, but they don't understand how lonely it can be at times. Battling injuries was was certainly the worst part. Um, I, I'm certainly glad that I didn't um, throw in the towel. Obviously, you know, getting towards the end of my career at Carlton and playing some bloody good footy, the ankle finally came good. My body was good again. And just that self-satisfaction of knowing that all the perseverance, all the hard work, everything I'd put back into it mentally, emotionally and physically um, was the right decision. Um, you know, if I had a thrown in the town and said, no, nah, you know what, it's a career-ending injury, I'm going to have to hang them up, I think I would have been filthy on myself. So although, um, you know, getting back from injury and then playing a couple of seasons at the Blues under, um, you know, not the best condition of ankle and getting a fair bit of shit from the media and supporters and, and everyone in the footballing industry to sort of then, as I said, get to the point where, um, you know, the, the respect almost came back for for how I was as a footballer and that I could still do it. And yes, I might not have been the young flashy kid of the blonde one taking four bounces and kicking hangers, but I was still playing at a bloody good level. You were definitely playing at a bloody great level, mate. But like you were just saying then, Daisy, that's what a lot of people don't see. And like you are saying just before, they don't understand. We, we always see the great things on TV about AFL players and, AF, and AFL, but we don't actually hear the stories like you said about when you went through them tough times mentally and physically. Yeah, for sure, mate. Uh, I think, you know, that's the, it's one of the great traps at the minute as well, you know, with Instagram and things like that. You see highlights of everyone's life. Um, you know, you, you're not posting the times when you're having a shit one and you, know, you can't be bothered getting out of bed or anything like that. You, you're posting when you're out for lunch or you're out for dinner or you're out with the missus, all that sort of stuff. So um, I think it's a good reminder for everyone that, you know, not just AFL footy and AFL players are, are certainly role models, but that doesn't mean they're, um, they don't get struck down by, you know, common problems of the common man because at the end of the day, all we are is people that play football a bit better than the average Joe for three hours a week and we have to train a bit harder and yes, we get paid a lot more, but with that, it's, um, you know, it doesn't mean you're immune to the normal problems of the average Joe. Well said there, mate, that is hundred percent right in what you said. Did either Collingwood or Carlton help support you for after football in life? Yeah, mate, they've both been brilliant. Um, you know, the AFL footy is so well run at the minute. Um, obviously, you have the Players Association as well. So, um, footy clubs are really keen on making sure that you have a sort of transition plan on the way out. Um, I was, you know, I didn't like school, so I was never going to go back to uni or do anything like that. Um I always sort of had plans to try and transition into the media. Um, it's obviously tough to double your toes in that water when you're still a player because you can't really have an opinion uh, whilst you're still playing because you're sort of uh, under the guidance of your club's opinion. Um, so it, it was a little bit more tricky for me in that sense to try and convince the um, the welfare manager and everyone, at the, the Blues especially, that no, I've got this under control. I know what I'm doing. I'm not just being a lazy bastard and playing golf three times a week. So um they've been great um you know and and once you're out of the system it's especially you know after living in that bubble if you will for 14 years you 
you start to realize there's a whole new world out there. Um, you know, just having the freedom to do things like a, a normal bloke. If you want to go and have five beers on a Tuesday afternoon, you can do it. Um, you know, you, if you get a call up and you've got a spare day, you can play golf. You don't have to worry about, you know, I'm a, do I have to get a cart because I'm not allowed to walk? I don't want to be fatigued from main training. I don't want to put myself at risk of injury. So I guess just the freedom of all of that um, has been has been really good. But yeah, footy clubs and the AFLPA are really good at helping players transition out of the game, um, especially in this day and age. It's great to see that the Players Association and the AFL and the AFL clubs are support ex-AFL players once they, once they finish up in the AFL system. Yeah, sure. Daisy, you and your mate, he sure, are now hosting the Heater and Daisy show on 7 Plus. Can you tell us a little bit about what the show's about? Mate, I'm so I'm sorry for people keep calling me. I'm I'm a busy man. Um, yeah. So the Heater and Daisy Show, as I said, we don't have a sponsor. So if you want to go up there to Forty Winks in Bendigo and see if they want to do a two for one deal, um, but no, look, we Heath and I have been have been best of mates since we were our playing days, and we've always been a little bit cheeky. Um, we love the game of footy, but I guess we sort of we played it differently, and also we see it a bit differently to most. Um, we're not sort of your footy heads of, you know, think of a Scotty Pen. Oh, my God. Why is everyone calling me? Leave me alone. I should have. Can you put your phone on airplane mode or something? Anyway, not the point. Um, back to the Heater and Daisy show. It, yeah, right, so mate. essentially it's just it's just a no bullshit take on footy. Um, we're saying the stuff that we wish we could have said in press conferences and, and things like that when we were playing, but we had to tow a company line. So we sort of pitched the idea to Seven. They liked it. Um, which was good, and here we are. So episode three launched uh, Monday night, and, yeah, we're away. So it's going pretty well, I think. Um, I've got to steer the ship because um, he's – well, he, he actually has ADHD, so he's he gets a little bit excited and he can't really follow a rundown sheet. So I've got to steer the ship. Um, but we, we have a lot of fun. We review footy, and – geez, it's all happening. The AirPods are falling out. Um, and we just – you know, we, we – think um you know it's almost like if you were sitting at the pub or sitting there over a over a game of footy with a mate just talking about it and you know you see a snippet of a press conference you're like what mate? that's that what do you mean like this week we had um chris scott we're talking about that last incident where blixar's dropped the ball and he gets asked in a press conference and he says oh i didn't see the incident well enough it's like mate there was 10 seconds to go there was 55 replays he's like come on spare me so um, just sort of that chat and uh, we're having a ball doing it. I, I still can't believe that I get to call that as, as work. I've, I've had a pretty good run to be completely honest. My first job was a footballer and now this second job is talking football with me best mate. Mate, it is great to see you hosting a fantastic show. I've been tuning into it every week and I'm loving the show. But uh, like you said just before, Daisy, it is great that you and Heath have your honest opinion and you're allowed to say what to what you say what you want to say now sort of thing not back when you were playing you know afl where where you're not allowed allowed to say certain things as i'm sure you you would yeah know. well that's fine that's a that's 100 right a, a lot of people you know they watch press conferences and they just 
they sit there and they look at the players and they're like, oh, you're saying the same crap week in, week out. But that's what you're told to say. Like you have media managers who prep you on answers for questions. If there's, you know, a, a controversial thing, you, you've got to tell a company line rather than coming out and having an opinion. And the stupid thing is, as soon as you have an opinion, like, I always think of a Paddy Dangerfield, like he has a bit of a laugh with the media and that, but as soon as he does something a little bit different, people then tee off on him and say, oh, he's an idiot. He needs to concentrate on his footy. What's he doing? It's like, hey, what do you want? Do you want people to be authentic or do you want to get the same boring lines and just waste everyone's time? So um, we're very fortunate that we're, we're being backed by seven to have our opinions and hopefully the, uh, the footy public and just anyone in general who likes sport will appreciate a, a fresh take on it. It's great that Seven's backing backing you guys, and I love your honest opinions on the show. It's great. Well, Daisy. Yeah, I love it, mate. Thank you. Um, Asi, thank you for coming on this week's episode. It's been great to chat to you about your AFL career. No, thank you very much, mate. Thanks for having me, and keep on punching. You're, you're killing it up there. I've seen some of the names you've had on this podcast. You're a bloody big deal. No worries at all. <laughs> Thank you, mate, for the support. I really appreciate it. Jed's podcast no, is proudly sponsored by 40 Wink Spending Go. Serious about sleep.